Holy Spirit, that it is, um, we are focusing on the theme of, of hospitality, of eating, and uh, if you were reading along in the lectionary, uh, the lectionary reading, gospel reading for today, would have been the story of the Good Samaritan. And so all of these kind of work together, right, for this focus So by nature, I am not a real generous person. 
I have to work at it. And what was interesting for, from my perspective was that as I began to share these blessings with people this past week, it was really fun. And that necessity to kind of evaluate the cost evaporated. And I just wanted to keep on blessing people. And, and so if you haven't had an opportunity to try this, give it a try this week, especially if you're not typically generous like me. Then uh, give, it a tr give it a whirl, see if you can bless a few people, and, and see what happens uh, within you. Now this week, uh, we're going to look at a distinctively biblical practice that will also arouse um, some curiosity about your faith, my faith in Jesus, when we share this one. So what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? Well, there's several that we could highlight. One was, he reminds us in Mark chapter 10, um, verse 45, that he came to serve. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, didn't come to be served, but to serve. Think about that. God came to us to serve us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. We also know that Jesus came to seek the lost. And in Luke uh, chapter 19, um, he recaps that. Verse 10, when he, uh, let me read 9 and 10. Jesus responds um, to Zacchaeus' transformation, his uh, unbelievable response to Jesus', um, not his teaching. I mean, he may have heard some of the teaching along the way, but when he was up in the tree, but mostly what he responded to was Jesus' um, response to, to Zacchaeus' act of hospitality. Remember, Zacchaeus invited him to his home for dinner, for a feast. And he goes there, and just his presence changes Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, um, I'm going to give away half of my wealth. He must have been really wealthy, because not only in addition to giving away half of his wealth, he also says, and I will repay anyone that I have defrauded four times. I mean, that's going to take a big chunk of his retirement away, isn't it? I mean, he is doing something amazing. And so this is Jesus' response. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So he came to serve. Jesus came to serve, to give his life. He came to seek the lost, tax collectors, the outcasts, people like Zacchaeus, and then the Son of Man also, well, he got into a little trouble for this one. Let's take a look at chapter 7 in Luke, and that verses 33 and 34. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. Remember, he ate the locusts and fasted a lot. Yet you said he is possessed by a demon he wouldn't eat. Then he says, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say that he's a glutton and a drunkard, 
friend of tax collectors and other sinners. That is whom many of Jesus' adversaries said that he was. John didn't drink. He didn't indulge in peace. And uh, he was possessed by a demon. Jesus did go to the feast, and he ate and he drank, and he was a drunkard and a glutton. The third is one of the ways in which Jesus did evangelism, sharing the good news of God about the restoration of Israel. And this is what he did. He ate with them, and he drank with them. Now, some of you have told me that you don't feel like you could teach the Bible. You're not comfortable teaching the Bible. And so I want to give you another opportunity to be an evangelist. And that is, can you eat and drink with people? If you can eat and drink with people, you can be an evangelist. It's that simple. What if I told you that you could surprise the world by how you used your dinner table? Your dinner table actually help to shape our mission here at New Covenant? I mean, think about that. We always think that, oh, the mission has to be shaped here by the, the hierarchical leadership, and it's got to work its way down to the people. What if you use your table to begin to shape the mission of this church? Would that be a radical idea? I kind of like it. The table, you see, can be a surprising it's not just the table. It's also who's at the table. One of the most surprising things about Jesus is not that he ate and that he drank. We all need to do that, right? One of the most surprising things is who he ate and drank with at the table. A friend of mine, a medical doctor, um, was at a conference several years ago up in San Francisco. And um, he good, faithful, Lutheran Christian, and he was curious about how he could do more to help the homeless. And uh, so he's at this conference. The evening is supposed to be a big dinner banquet. And um, instead, what he did is he went outside and found a couple of homeless people and invited them to McDonald's for dinner. And he spent the next two hours sitting with them, eating with them, drinking with them, asking them what it means to be a homeless person in the context of the particular city that they were in and how could the church be of help to the homeless community. Fascinating to think about doing something different like that. Now, I don't think Jesus was actually a drunk nor a glutton, but his willingness to eat and drink with sinners and tax collectors other prostitutes and other sinners gave his adversaries plenty of ammunition, right? I mean, just focus on what he was doing that was not part of what was expected of the Son of God. When we take a look at Jesus' first miracle, when he began his ministry in John's Gospel, isn't it interesting that it began around a table? mother called upon 
down here because the host had run out of wine. And so what did Jesus do? He, he asked the steward to go fill the water jars with water. Now, what were these, what were these water jars used for? They were used for cleansing. So if you came to the wedding banquet, the reason they were probably there was that you could cleanse yourself. Uh, a good Jew would cleanse themselves uh, from any kind of evil thoughts that they might have had. We often think of, you know, menstruation cycles and all these kinds of elaborate things. But it, it could just be that you, you had an argument with your spouse or that you um, were not kind to a co-worker. And so it was typical for them to use that water jar wash themselves as a ritual symbol of cleansing themselves before they would go in to the banquet for the feast. I also don't think that it was by mistake that Jesus chose those cleansing jars to turn water into wine. Because we know that the place of wine in Jesus' story as the Son of God, do we not? Remember how at the Last Supper, he takes the bread and the wine, he tells them, this is my body, this is my blood. So in the very beginning, we have the wine. And at the very end of the story of Jesus' life, we have the wine. And it reminds us of the power of the table. How God is present at our tables. Patty and I have a tradition, and... Thankfully, our kids have picked up on it, um, but it was having a prayer at the dinner table. Um, not many families do that anymore today. Uh, we just sit down and we eat. And um, thankfully, uh, you know, we were able to continue that, even maybe when our kids didn't like it when they were little. Um, but over, the, over time, it became a part of our celebration of the meal like those cleansing jars for the Jews who came to the wedding feast. It was a way to prepare themselves for the meal that they were about to eat. So Jesus often uses the table to, su to surprise his guests and even his hosts. Um, I asked Zach to put up a picture of a first century table. Um, they would recline at their dinner table didn't sit up in chairs like we do today. Um, so at the Pharisees' table, in our reading for today, um, not in our reading for today, in, uh, in, in the gospel that we had uh, Chris read earlier, um, we are reminded of how Jesus uses that table to invite people who we would not normally expect to be at the table. Jesus surprises the guests. He tells them how to welcome the poor, how to welcome those who are sick. As the people strive for the best seat at the table, Jesus tells them, instead of striving for the best seat, let's include those whom the world might not include. Jesus tells us, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind among them. Luke chapter 7, and uh, a little bit later, 
gospel reading this morning. In uh, verse 36, um, Jesus is invited to another table. See, there's table stories throughout the gospels. He's invited to another table by a Pharisee. And this one um, happens to have a woman who the community sees as a sinner, as someone unclean, not welcome at the table. But she has come not to be at the table, but she has come to wash Jesus' feet and uh, to anoint his feet with oil. And she weeps um, over the grace and the love and the mercy that she experiences from Jesus. And his host becomes a little upset that this woman is disrupting his dinner party for Jesus. Why I find this interesting is because we read this story and we read it about this sinner, this woman, right? But there's actually two sinners in this story. Not just the woman, but the host, the Pharisee. And the Pharisee is different because he doesn't recognize his sin. And as I thought about that, I thought, how often am I like that? Are you ever like that? I can see the sin in other people, but I refuse to see the sin in me. So Jesus uses the table for these surprising things, um, helping us to see ourselves as we truly are by including people that we would not normally include. There's a quote from an author, uh, Alan Hirsch, uh, the book that he co-wrote with uh, Lance Ford, right here, right now. Um, Ellen is one of my favorite authors. In this book, um, this is the quote that they share. Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to, exp to expand the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. I think that's profound, that last statement especially. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change So Jesus surprises us at the table by the kinds of people that he interacts with. Jesus also surprises us with the table by the kind of community that he fosters. Have you ever gone to a, a busy restaurant and, you know, lots of noise and vitality? And have you ever looked around and seen a table where there is no one speaking to each other at the table? Does that feel odd or what? I mean, how can that happen in a, in a restaurant filled with all kinds of conversations and all kinds of people and all kinds of music and energy and then there's a table where no one is talking to each other? Very strange. Sometimes, maybe we 
to see the table as a place for conversation, uh, for debate, uh, for Sabbath, for, for forgiveness, for reconciliation. The table is a place for us to come together and not just sit, but to be able to interact and to be with one another. And your table can be like that. Your table can be a place where you gather people together. People that you normally wouldn't see together and begin to interact. So, how many times have you heard pastors tell you, invite your neighbors to church? Anybody, everybody hear that before? Yeah. And has it been very successful? No. Be honest. So what if we didn't invite them to church? What if you invited them to your table? I bet you they would come to that. Through the table, we can learn about one another, about our values, our beliefs, our callings. We learn what it means to be a family, how to live in responsible and loving relationships. Yet there is often that is often not how we Christians live in the context of the table. Sometimes we Christians can suffer like that table that didn't talk to one another really. We can also suffer from uh, what a lot of pastors like to call the holy huddle. Where we'll talk with people, but it's just those who we're really close to. And we're not really going to ever talk to anyone else. Years ago, I served on a board for congregational life and mission for the DLCA. And uh, I remember one of the consultants uh, sharing some information with us at one of our meetings. And, and he said, from our research, we can tell you that every Lutheran congregation in the United States thinks that they're the friendliest congregation in the whole country. He said, the problem is, is it, he said, it's true that they're very friendly, but the problem is, is that they're very friendly to they're not very friendly to those who are new to the community. And so that becomes the challenge for us because we're used to the same people. And if new people come in, it's like, well, what do we do? How do we greet them? Um, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. So I'll just go to my friends and I'll stick with them. And we all do that. And so one of the challenges for us want to foster community is that we got to be willing to, to reach outside of our comfort circle and begin to connect with people outside of those circles. Jesus' presence at the table is unique. He eats with them first. Then he announces forgiveness. Think about that. With Zacchaeus, he didn't even need to announce it. Zacchaeus just received it. And this woman who is anointing Jesus' feet with her tears, she is forgiven. And yet the host who needs forgiveness refuses it. Kind of like the older brother, right? The story of the two sons. Jesus' presence at the table is unique. 
because he comes welcoming, inviting, loving, and forgiving, not judging. A pastor friend of mine um, hosted a pop-up once a month in his neighborhood. And um, it was a year-long event that they uh, targeted through their church. So one Sunday a month, Sunday a month they didn't meet for public worship like we do here. One Sunday a month they were each um, sent to their neighborhoods to uh, gather people from the neighborhood into a pop-up. So my friend and his wife um, did that in their neighborhood and um, what was amazing was uh, no one new came to the church. And This is what happened. Like a year later, maybe the year after the potluck, year-long potluck series ended, one of the neighbors, a young man with uh, his wife with two children, uh, his wife died very suddenly. And this neighbor came to my friend and he said, I don't know anything about church. I don't know anything about God. Closest thing that I've known about God is by watching you. He said, Would you do a service for my wife? Well, that gentleman is my friend's now in the church building, and, and, and that gentleman is now the head of all the ushers in that church. And, and so, one of the things that Jesus shows us is not only does he use the table to develop community, but he uses the table reflect his character, the character of God. And the character of God is welcoming, and it is loving. My friend exuded the love and grace of Jesus, and his unchurched neighbors got to get a glimpse of, of that character of God. Now today we celebrate Holy Communion. We'll do it in our, our traditional, uh, usual, liturgical way. It's a meal within the context of this public worship service. But the first Christians celebrated communion a little bit differently. They celebrated in the context of a love feast or a banquet. And so all the Christians from that community, wherever it was located, they would be invited and welcomed to come to the table. And they would all eat so that there was plenty of food for everyone. No one went away hungry. And everyone received the grace of their neighbors. And then, as kind of the pinnacle of that feast, they would share the Lord's Supper with one another. Now, it didn't take long for abuses to work itself into that particular feast. Uh, Paul writes about that in, in uh, his letter to the Corinthians. Um, chastises them, as only Paul can, in the Corinthian church for not including everyone at the table. They've allowed divisions to form. Now, we would never allow that in our culture today, would we? No, right? Okay. All right, I stand corrected. Um, so, then we have something to learn from the Corinthian church. That they were dividing, not allowing particular divisions to 
setting up separate tables, what does that say about the church? The Corinthian church also allowed banquets to become wild, drunken feasts. Other Christians were not given any food and went away hungry. None of these abuses reflect the character of God. And so Paul was perhaps instrumental in changing the way that the church publicly celebrates Holy Communion. In early Christianity, what we can detect, even with the abuses, was that it was the table at the center It wasn't the lectern, it wasn't the pulpit, it wasn't the choir, it wasn't the band, it was the table. The table was the primary symbol for the faith. So if the table is this historical symbol of the Christian faith, then here is the challenge. And this is where we get the hint. Um, let's take a quick look, there's a video clip, about two minutes. Uh, this is Michael Frost, the missiologist who's done this research, written this book, and this is what he has to say about it, about eating. The second dimensional habit I want to talk to you about is eating. So I talked about a blessing, so be the blessing, and the second letter is E, E for eating. What I want to do is to encourage you to think about what it would be like for you to see the regular practice of eating, bringing people to the table, and engaging in conversation with them as a habitual weekly practice. Bringing people to a table is a really important missional practice because the thing that I find, and you probably find the same thing, is that when you sit together at a table, when you share food and drink, conversation at a much deeper, more intimate level often occurs. The thing about food and drink is it's the great equalizer in relationships. When I sit across a table from someone, when I eat with them, when I drink with them, I'm actually going to engage in much more significant conversation than if I just saw them in the street or talked to them in the corridor at work or bumped into them at some sporting event or something, food and drink on the table, it has some unique relational impact on people's lives. So I want you to eat with at least one member of your church, at least one non-Christian uh, who you know in your circles, and then the third one can be the minor category. Now some people say to me, yikes, that's an awful lot of people to, to go to three dinner parties every week. Think about it. You already eat three times a, a day, right? Well, at least I do. That's not even counting like coffee and donuts and whatever else you have. So three times a day, seven days a week, that's 21 meals a week. 21. And all I'm asking is that for three of them, you bring somebody to the table, you sit opposite them, you eat and you drink. You watch how the table can become a really powerful missional zone in your life if you make it a I think we've forgotten that our table as a significant space for meaningful visual engagement. So that's the challenge for this week, is to find three people that you can invite to your table. Now some of you, I know, you're really busy and you don't have time to take time for three meals. And so I'm gonna give you permission you can invite three people to one meal. Or maybe you would like to gather with some, a friend or two at coffee. So it doesn't have to literally be 
Let's go.